been doing a series on prayer. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to speak for about 20 minutes or so on some aspects of prayer. And then we've invited Ryan Rempel here, who's a friend of ours, friend of the Church of God in the city here. And he is going to come up and share some things that are on his heart about how we can practically put some of what I'm going to be preaching to you to use over the next little while. So it's going to be a good morning for you. I don't know whether you've noticed or you saw the articles um, about the little eight-year-old boy in Winnipeg this last week who had a birthday coming up. And since before Christmas, the one thing that he wanted for his birthday was for Patrick Liney, who is the superstar, young superstar of the Winnipeg Jets, to come to his birthday. Did you see this? And so he wrote a handwritten message out, and he wanted his mother to put it in the post. And his mother's like, what's the point of putting it in the post? If it goes in the post, it's never going to get to it. It'll go to some manager somewhere, and it won't, it'll never get to where it needs to go. So she did nothing about it, and she put it on the fridge, just left it there. And uh, over Christmas, the extended family were there. So an uncle came, and he looked at uh, this thing on the fridge, and he thought, well, that's neat. What are you going to do with it? Put it on the, in the post. No, no, we're not going to put it on the post. So he took a photograph of it, and he sent it out on social media. And being the way that social media is nowadays, it didn't take long before the phone rang, and it was Mrs. Liney. It was Patrick Liney's mother. And she'd caught on to this thing. Somehow it had got through to her. And she phoned up the family and said, my son will be there for your birthday. And so this last week on his eighth birthday, the door knocked halfway through his birthday. And Patrick Liney showed up with his mother with a signed shirt. And he was able to spend some time together and talk together. It totally made this boy's birthday. Now, I was thinking about that in terms of prayer. Ron last week was encouraging us to be audacious in prayer. Sometimes the big things that we want, we leave them on our fridge. You understand what I mean? We don't ask. It's too big, it's too grand, it's too whatever. Be audacious, ask. Prayer is a wonderful means of releasing the grace of God into our lives. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. Don't leave your prayers on the fridge. Ask them and see what God will do. We've been talking about prayer. Ron last week said that one of the great privileges of prayer is communion with God. That deep fellowship with God together. Because prayer is not just coming to God and throwing all our requests in his general direction. That's what I did for years. I had a list that filled up all the time I had for prayer. And I would pray it robotically and fast before I went to bed. Fast because I wanted to go to sleep. And then when I was done my list, I would climb into bed and think I could sleep okay now because I've done my list. It was like I ticked the box. Now, you know, God understands that, I'm sure, and he's very gracious about that. But prayer is communion with God. It's a two-way conversation. And I began to realize after a while when I um, left university and went to start teaching and got into this church, the guy in the church there spent hours every week hearing God, just sitting quietly listening to God. I'd never met anybody like this before. I, I was around a lot of good prayers, people who could pray out their heart's prayer, but not a lot of really good listeners. And God began to teach me how to listen. And spend time listening. It's a two-way conversation. And the privilege of prayer is communion with the living God. The person who made the universe and everything in it created you and me. And all of us can have that communion. 
If you're here this morning and you don't know God, you can know him before the end of this morning and have that place of communion with him. If that's the great privilege of prayer, then the purpose of prayer is to see the will of God done on earth. Jesus taught his disciples when he taught them to pray. The first thing, let your kingdom come and your will be done. And what is God's will for this world? Well, God's will for us in this world is outlined in the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. That's why we have the flags around the outside. And if you come from a nation and your flag is not represented here, talk to us. Because Ken is going to find a way, a space of putting it up there. (laughs) Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want to speak to us this morning about when we pray... Communion, compassion, and the Great Commission. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray you'd speak through me. I pray you'd speak through Ryan. I pray you'd open our hearts to receive your word. And however, Lord, you want to warm our hearts this morning towards you and towards your purposes and to encourage us in prayer at the beginning of this prayer and fasting, I pray you would help us. We invite you, Holy Spirit. You're welcome here. Speak how you want to speak, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So how do we pray into the will of God? How do we pray into this thing of the Great Commission? There are many ways to do it. I just want to focus on one way this morning. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to read from verse 35 to chapter 10 and verse 1. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version, if you're following it on, uh, on a Bible app. And the words will be behind me on the PowerPoint if you don't have a Bible, so you can follow along. Let me read it to you from verse 35 of chapter 9 of Matthew. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. There are two powerful words in this passage that I want to bring our attention to this morning. And the first one is this, compassion. Compassion. That Greek word appears 12 times in the New Testament. And it only appears either spoken by Jesus or spoken about Jesus. It's about his particular brand of compassion. We think of compassion and we think of love and pity and mercy. But this kind of compassion is a very, very deep compassion that comes from the very depths of someone's 
being. In the old English, they talked about the bowels coming out of your compassion from the very depths of who you are. Ken and I were talking about being moved this week by different things. We were talking about movies, being moved by movies. And I went to see Sing over the holidays. And uh, when we were, if you know that movie at all, it's all about animals that sing, I guess. And so at the end of the movie, there's this elephant. And, and she's very shy and she can't sing very well and, or she can sing very well, but she's shy to sing. But at the end, she kind of gets herself together and she starts to sing. And the lady that sings the part, that actually sings the vocals for the, for the movie, she has an incredible voice. She's got a voice like an angel. And when this elephant starts to sing, I suddenly got this lump in my throat. I'm thinking, great, I'm sitting in a movie. I'm going to start crying in an elephant singing. <laughs> in a Disney movie. Ken tells me he cries at Rocky Balboa. So it's a little bit more manly, I suppose. Anyway. That sort of movement is, is, a level of, is a level of compassion. It's something that's moving. I was moved because here's this elephant that's so shy and can't do anything and finally gets some, something out and this voice is just beautiful. You think, oh yes, there it is. But the sort of compassion that Jesus is talking about here is a whole other level. It's a depth of feeling that maybe we connect with in a little way every now and again. But many of us probably uh, don't really understand just how deep it all goes. It's like an earthquake that goes off in the heart of God. And when Jesus looks out over these crowds, he has compassion. This deep, moving earthquake inside his being of mercy and kindness and love breaking out from the very depths of the heart of God for the people that he sees. That's what compassion means. And that's what Jesus feels when he sees you. When he sees you struggling in your parenting, when he sees you struggling with your exams at school, when he sees you angry and anxious in your finances, in your health, in lots of different ways, Jesus looks out over the crowds of people and is moved He is never unmoved by what you and I go through. Never. It always moves him. That is the word compassion. The second word that I want to bring to your attention out of this passage is that word pray earnestly. You're saying, Peter, you can't count. That's two words. I know, but in the Greek, it's one word. And in the Greek, what it means is to bind yourself to someone in prayer. In other words, you get a hold of them. You bind yourself to them and you beg them, Will, Will, give me your money. No, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) You bind yourself to someone. It's a deep begging. It can again come from the very depths of somebody's heart of need. It's used in the New Testament of people who come to Jesus and they're desperately in need of healing or or a child to be released from some demonic influence. Some other different reasons. And they beg Jesus. This is not just an asking. Please will you do this for me. It's a begging. It's a deep passionate prayer. Paul uses it. When he expresses his passion for people who are lost without God. 
If God feels compassion for anybody, it's for people who are lost without him. Actually, it wasn't Paul's passion, but God's passion coming through him. We read it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, where he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us, and we implore you, we beg you, Corinthians, on behalf of Jesus, be reconciled to God. I wonder if you've ever begged somebody to be reconciled with God. I have. Think of people who are on their deathbeds and, and they're, they're lost. They don't have time. You don't have time to mess around. Would you like to give your life to Jesus? No. Do you understand what that means? You understand that in a few minutes you're going to close your eyes and you will be gone to a lost eternity. I beg of you, please give your life to Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus today, you might not think that your life is about to end, but you are not fully living your life without him. Every day without Jesus is a life that's lived at less of a level than God has for you. It's wasting away. Can I beg you, be reconciled to God. Put it right with God. Whatever your situation is. That's the depth of that word. Pray earnestly. Two weeks ago, Ron and Mary talked about being in agreement in prayer. Last week, Ron talked about being audacious in prayer. Today, I want to talk about being passionate in prayer. What do I mean by that? Do I mean you have to raise your voice? That God only answers when you're shouting? No, of course not. This is not about how loud we pray. Jesus talked about the Pharisee who stood on the street corner and raised his voice and prayed loudly and probably passionately so that everybody could hear and God didn't, did not give him the answer to the prayer that he was asking. And many a whispered prayer has been answered right away. This is not about the volume at which you pray, but about the heart with which we pray. How can we pray in the way that Jesus is encouraging us to pray in this passage? Let me give you three quick points out of this passage about how we can pray in the way that Jesus is encouraging us to pray. First of all, our heart needs to be engaged. How can our heart be engaged? Well, first point is this. Communion with God leads to compassion for people. Communion with God breeds compassion for people because it connects you with God's heart. I was thinking this week about the Apostle John. John uh, was very close to Jesus. And the night before Jesus went to the cross, John was leaning on Jesus at the Last Supper. He had his head on Jesus' chest. Um, Speculation, I don't know. But maybe he could hear Jesus' heartbeat. Maybe John, lying there the night before Jesus died on the cross, could hear the heartbeat of God. And if he heard that heartbeat, and if he understood what made that heart tick, he would understand that God's heart was beating for people. For you. For me. Not for the pain of the cross, he was going to have to face that. 
all the false accusations, the whips, the scourges, all of those things. He knew all of those things were coming. But what was making his heart beat, what was driving him there, what was taking him there, was his deeply felt, moved compassion for people. And when you commune with God and you get close to God and you begin to hear his heartbeat, that's what you begin to hear. God loves people. And he wants to save people. Here, the disciples get connected to the heart of Jesus by being among people. They're with Jesus, they're communing with him, and they're amongst a crowd. And they watched Jesus, and Matthew says he had such compassion over these people because they were harassed and lost like sheep without a shepherd. They could see the compassion. They caught the heartbeat. Simple little thing, but I want to encourage you if you don't do this already. When you're out and about among people, make that as much a place of your communion with Jesus as you do in your private room at home. You know, sometimes we can get into, we, we pray at home, that's our communion, and then we get out there and do the stuff. And then we come back and commune. No, commune with Jesus when you're among people. On the bus, on the way to school in the morning. Lord Jesus, how do you feel about these people around me? What are you thinking right now? At the grocery store, Lord, what are you thinking about that lady at the checkout? Workplace, wherever it is. Family gatherings, whatever it is. Lord Jesus, well, I want to commune with you here. Would you touch my heart? I tell you what, it's really helpful. It's really helpful when you're driving your car. If you're communing with the Lord, and then someone cuts you off. Commune with Jesus, and when you commune with Jesus, you begin to catch the compassion of his heart. How deeply, deeply, and eternally he loves and cares for every one of us. Secondly, compassion for people leads to passionate prayers for people. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. Therefore, implore God. Therefore, beg God is the literal translation. Jesus' compassion firstly takes him to a place of prayer. That is really helpful. Because if you start getting in touch with the heart of God for people, it can become overwhelming. What do I do about all of this care I have for so many people? I can't. It's just overwhelming. I can't do everything with it. Well, Jesus says, take it to God in prayer. And before you do something, ask God to do something. You as one person might be able to do one thing, but ask God of heaven that he would send out workers who will be able to do many things. Multiply the results of your compassion by taking it first to God. God may then ask you to do something, or he may not. But take it to God in prayer. That's what Jesus does. He prays for people when issues come across his path. And he still does it in heaven. Hebrews 7, 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Something bad happened to you this week? 
Can I tell you the first thing that happened when something bad happened to you? Jesus Christ, the King of glory, at the right hand of the Father, prayed for you. Isn't that stunning? You got some bad news. Something happened with your kids. Something happened at work or at school or whatever and you were so down. And You might not even think of turning to God in prayer, but God is praying for you. That's what he does. His compassion firstly takes him to prayer, even Jesus. Because he knows in prayer he can multiply out the heart of God in so many different ways beyond what he can do himself. You may be praying heartfelt prayers for people, I'm sure you do. Especially those you love and who are closest to you. But what if you can't get your heart engaged? Maybe you're weary in prayer this morning. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're just not interested. And how do you pray for people that you have no feeling for? Paul tells his young pastor in 1 Timothy 2 verse 1, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. How do you get a heart for all people? That's overwhelming. And then Paul goes on to list what were back then and probably still today some of the most difficult people to get a heart for. For kings and all who are in high positions. That sounds Fairly neutral to us. Maybe it doesn't after recent events. But to them, those kings and people in high positions could arrest them. Could throw them in jail. Could have them whipped and scourged and falsely accused and killed. How do you get a heart for people like that? Because Jesus has a heart for them. Paul connects praying for all people to the compassion of God. He says, this is good, praying for all people. Why? It's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Why? Because he desires all people to be saved. That's God's heart. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. So how can we pray with heart and compassion for people you've never met? Or worse still, people whose policies you don't like. Maybe even out to arrest you. How do you pray for people like that? I want to give you one tool. You can ask God for compassion. There's lots of different ways you can do this. But I tell you what I do, what helps me, and that's praying in tongues. Now, for many of you, that may be something you do naturally and often. And I want to encourage you in it. Keep doing it. For many of us, though, it's something maybe that happens once or twice in our lives, and we have the gift of tongues, and, and we don't use it a lot after that. Maybe some of you here don't even have a gift of tongues. So maybe some of you don't even believe in the gift of tongues. And you don't have to have tongues to have effective prayer. My family growing up, they didn't believe in, in tongues, but they really prayed. And God answered their prayers, I'm sure. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But I think God is encouraging us in these days, encouraging me to, to pray in tongues. Because what happens when I pray in tongues is that it bypasses the limitations of my faith the limitations of my mind and the limitations of my heart. Because I can't carry all this stuff. It's too big. So what I do is I start to pray. And I don't have a lot of words in my prayer language. I don't have a, a, a dictionary worth of them. I don't know if it's a, a world language or it's a heavenly language. I have no idea. But I just start to pray. Sounds foolish, doesn't it? 
I can sound foolish saying it, but I'm not ashamed of it because I've seen God move in power. And I start praying and I got no feeling for anything. I don't even know what I'm praying about sometimes. I have no energy to pray sometimes. And I'm just trusting that the Holy Spirit is praying through me wherever I'm at. Just sounds like the same words to me if I think about it in my head sometimes. But what happens is that my spirit begins to get engaged in something. Suddenly feel something coming out of here. Suddenly there's a passion that begins to happen to me that wasn't there before. And then I'll start praying in English and I'll be praying things that I did not intend to pray for. Be praying for peoples and, and nations or cities or whatever. Lord, would you move in this city? Lord, would you pour out your spirit on Winnipeg? You are not willing that any would be lost, but you want everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit like a river? Let there be revival. I pray for conviction of sin. I pray people would understand how much they need you. Lord, would you save them? Lord, would you save them? Lord, would you save them? And from a place of tiredness and a total disconnect, really emotionally with the heart of God, suddenly I'm praying in quite a different place. I want to encourage you to pray in tongues. Over this prayer and fasting, do it five minutes a day. See what happens. Just pray in your own. If you can do it together with other people, that's even better. A lot of people are a little nervous about praying in tongues around other people because of what it sounds like. Well, don't worry. I sound as foolish as you do. Sometimes I don't even, is this, what is this, Lord? I don't know what it was, but I know that when I pray, I engage with God. I could tell you stories. I've seen people that were saved in car accidents while I was praying in tongues. And I was praying for them. I didn't, it wasn't even on my mind. I started to pray in tongues. And I got praying. And suddenly I started to pray for this person. Lord, keep them safe. Keep them safe. Keep them safe. Would you break the power of this demonic thing that's about to kill them? And at that moment when I was praying, there was a car accident. And when the police came and they pulled this girl out of the car, and she was not walking with Jesus, she would have been gone. When they pulled her out of the car, the car seat was so thin, they thought nobody could ever have sat on it. They could not believe. She was broadsided on her door. And she walked away with cuts and bruises. I'm married to Julia because of speaking in tongues. That's a whole different story. (laughs) But it wasn't going to happen any other way. I was too fearful. I needed help. If you have the gift of tongues, use it. Don't be ashamed. If you don't have the gift of tongues, ask the Lord for it. And if you've asked the Lord for it, I believe you've got it. Does that sound too simple? Because God says, Jesus said, if your heavenly, if your earthly fathers are evil and know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Lord, I'd like more of the Holy Spirit. Done. Why? Because you asked. Sorry, is that too simple? No, really, I I asked for the Holy Spirit to fill me with tongues when I was 11 years old. I finally figured out I had the gift when I was 22. But I had it all along. Because when I started praying in tongues at 22, I started speaking the words that I started saying when I was 11, and I gave up because I thought it was too stupid. 
That's what 11-year-olds think. When words come babbling out of your mouth and you think, I'm just making this up. So I stopped. I'm 22, I suddenly realized that was God. I've gone 10 years and I could have been praying in tongues. Well, God's gen- generous with us and he looks after us. I want to encourage you. If you want to pray in tongues, just ask and then go for it. Just open your mouth and go. Pray out whatever the Holy Spirit puts on your mind and on your heart and on your tongue. Compassion for people leads to passionate prayers for people. Finally, passionate prayer for people leads to a release of workers. Immediately in the next verse, Jesus is sending his disciples out. I don't know how, if you realize how God set this beginning of this year up for us. It wasn't necessarily planned this way. God has just done it. But we've got our prayer and fasting for 10 days, and then we go right into our 40 days of purpose. Lord, what have you got for us to do? And my prayer is that the Lord is going to send out workers into the harvest field. That's what we're here for, right? We're not just here to have a nice little warm gathering on a Sunday and make ourselves kind of encouraged and whatever. That's all good. But we're actually here for a reason. We're here to reach people. Is that too simple? That's the purpose of all. That's God's purpose. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. Go and reach people. That's why we're here. Many of us struggle to do that. But we have someone here this morning who also struggled to do that. But he prayed God put something on his heart. And as a result of that, God has used him in many, many different ways. He's got a testimony. He's got an encouragement for you today. And if you want to be able to reach people today, but you're like me and you think, ah, that's beyond me. I'm fearful. I'm whatever. Ryan will encourage you. Let's give a warm welcome to Ryan Rempel this morning. Good morning. I am super pumped to be here because I love to be able to get to talk about what I'm passionate about, which is the Bible, sharing the gospel, and making disciples. I love that we're talking about the Great Commission. I think it's one of the most powerful verses uh, and portions of the Bible, and I think we often take that as the great suggestion. Um, I don't think that's what it was intended to be, um, since that was one of the last things that, that Jesus gave us, us instructions to do before he ascended back into heaven. He gave us the Great Commission, and I think we sometimes take it as, eh, maybe. I don't take it that way anymore, um, but I get that feeling of, of taking it that way. I started the ministry of Give the Word three and a half years ago, and it came out of my desire to share the gospel, um, to put the gospel into people's hands and to share my story with people. Um, I have a very colorful past, and I'm so glad um, that I found Jesus and that Jesus found me. Um, And my faith, um, I want my faith to be the most important thing in my life. And if it is, I better be sharing that with others. Give the Word came together um, in, a, in a very miraculous way, and I, I thought, you know, how, how can I take my passion for the Bible and for um, sharing my story and the gospel, how can I turn that into a ministry or, or a job? And God just kept on giving me the words, give the Word, give the Word, give the Word, and that's what I wanted to do. And so um, I started the conversation about starting Give the Word and starting a ministry from the ground up, and believe me, it was terrifying. Um, I have a wife uh, and, and three kids and, and a mortgage to pay for, and so starting a ministry was absolutely terrifying. But I thought, God, if you're in this, please provide. If you're not, don't. And I'm okay with that. But my first week after I started Give the Word, I remember going to my father-in-law's office uh, in Winnipeg, and the owner of the company was there. And and he just says, Ryan, I heard you're starting some kind of a ministry. What's this all about? So I told him, and he goes, that's amazing. Where's your office? 
And I said, I got nothing. Like, I'm working out of my car and my phone. And he goes, well, then I guess I need to help you. So I'm going to donate an office and a warehouse for you to use rent-free in my building. I thought, what is going on? I haven't even prayed about that yet. And God's, all, God's already answering prayers that I haven't talked to him about. And, uh, and so I started working out of there, and I contacted Tyndale Publishing, and I said, you know, I want to partner with, um, with you. Um, I want to partner with the Bibles that you publish, and I want to start out with 10,000 Bibles. What's that going to cost me? And they said, well, that'll cost you about 80 grand for 10,000 Bibles. So I thought, oh my goodness, I've got to raise 80 grand. And uh, so I thought, well, that is what it is. And uh, a couple of days later, it was the Friday of May Long Week, and they called me and they said, Ryan, we really have a heart for what you want to do, and we love that you want to make the Bible free and available, and we love the fact that you want to share the gospel. So we're going to bring that cost down from $8 a copy to $2.38 a copy. And uh, unbelievable. And within five days, we had $30,000 raised to purchase those Bibles. Over May Long weekend, that has never, ever come together that quickly for me in my years of fundraising, ever. And uh, a trucking company came on board, and, and they shipped 10 skids of Bibles from Chicago to Winnipeg for free, and they're now doing our shipping long-term for free. And uh, we had a printing company come on board with our website and, uh, and promotional material, and we were 100% operational within a month, and I had zero overhead. Nothing. Unbelievable. God wants his word to go out, and he says that it will not return void. And he's proven that over and over and over again. And uh, over the last three and a half years, we've been able to donate over 150,000 Bibles to over 400 ministries and individuals across Canada and beyond. It's been absolutely incredible. And yes, I have a heart for ministries and churches to be able to have access um, to Bibles that pertain to their ministry, but a huge part of my heart is getting individuals passionate about sharing the gospel, because if you know Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you are a missionary and you have a ministry. Whether you're active in that is completely up to you, but you have a ministry and a a responsibility. I went to a conference a while back, and it it talked about statistics on, on Christians who share the gospel. Uh, in North America. And their statistic that they found was after interviewing thousands and thousands of Christians across the nation, the percentage of Christians who are actively engaged in sharing their faith is 2 to 5%. 2 to 5%. How are we ever going to win our communities for Christ if that, t- that statistic holds true? And I thought there's no way that that's possible. And so I, so I started interviewing pastors across Winnipeg, and yeah, they would agree. And I get that because I was scared of sharing my faith. Actually, you know what? To be honest, I still am. When I know I'm about to take an opportunity to share the gospel, man, I get scared. I get nervous. I get clammy. I get my, my words get all tangled. And I go, oh my goodness, what am I going to do here? But I can tell you it gets easier every single time you do it and there's joy in it. I did a survey in a church in Calgary that I was speaking at. It was about 400 people And I said, everybody here, put your heads down. I'm not going to do it here because I've done it a few times already. But I just said, everybody put your heads down. Don't look at the person beside you. And I said, if your faith is the most important thing in your life, raise your hand. And almost the entire church of 400 people goes like this. I thought, great, this is awesome. And I said, now keep your eyes closed. And who here would say that they are actively engaged in sharing their faith at any capacity during their week? About 10 to 15 hands went up. 
And I thought, well, how then can we collectively say that our faith is the most important thing in our life if it's not even something that we're willing to talk about? See, my hand is probably over here. You see, I myself don't always make my faith the most important thing in our life. There's many other things that take precedence over sharing the gospel, like talking about the jets or my family or my job or whatever. I want my faith to be the most important thing in my life. But if it's going to be, then I better be talking about it with people who don't share the same faith as me. I have a responsibility. See, there, there's a man named Todd who came to our office um, a while back. And uh, he came into my office and he just said, the only reason why I'm here is because the logo on the back of my Bible matched the logo on your door and I just had to find out what you do. And so I told him what we did and he just goes, thank you, you saved my life. And he's, he uses pretty matter-of-fact language and I was like, oh, okay, great, what, what's your story? And he just goes, well, somebody gave me a Bible a while back and I just love to read, so I thought it was just a book. And I brought it home with me and I started reading it. And I, real, I realized that I was reading through the Bible for the first time in my life. And he said, I read through the entire New Testament in three days, and the only conclusion that I could come to at the end was that I needed to accept Christ, and I want you to know that I've done that. Unbelievable. And he said, I'm 42 years old, and I'm now the first Christian in my family tree because I had access to this. And I took him to church with me um, for the first time, and after the service, he goes, I can't believe nobody asked me to leave. And I said, what? And he said, well, I said, I've been curious about church for a while, but I always saw the name, you know, Baptist or Lutheran or Mennonite or, or whatever. I said, I wasn't a part of those clubs. I said, oh my goodness, that's how you feel? And he actually just, he had an amazing time getting to witness a body of believers just worshiping the Lord. And he never stepped into a church because he was terrified to do so. How many other people feel that way? See, Todd took me for coffee a while back and he said, uh, he said, Ryan, I got a bone to pick with you. And he said, you've known about this your entire life, correct? And I said, yep. And he said, that makes me upset. He said, why do Christians like you rob people like me of eternity by keeping your mouths shut? I had no answer for him. He said, it took 42 years for this to get put in my hands. He said, I was in a drunk driving accident years ago. And he said, and that was, it was my fault. And I should have died and I don't know why I didn't. But I now know where I would have gone had I died. And he said, and that would have been on you because you chose to say nothing to me about this. He said, that is not fair. That was the most powerful conversation that I have ever had. And I had no answer for him. I had no proper excuse for him other than to say that I'm sorry. And he said, when I got saved, this is all I could talk about. There is nothing else that I want to talk about other than this. And he said, I found out that there was a group of believers that worked around my office desk for years. And they're congratulating me because they now know I'm a Christian. But I was so mad at them because they, for years, they said nothing. Yes, I saw them pray before they ate. And yes, I heard them say that they went to church on Sunday. But that's not enough. That didn't tell me what this was. After that conversation... Oh my goodness, 
that changed me. I knew that then that I did not have to ask God for opportunities to share my faith. God was providing them for me every single day. And I just choose to walk by them. I think, that, I think one of the, the open doors that I was waiting for was I wanted somebody to come and say, Ryan, you're a nice guy and I heard you're a Christian. I would love to be one too. How do I do that? Never going to happen. I have some amazing friends who are super, super nice people who would give you the shirt off their back that want absolutely nothing to do with this. Being nice is not enough. I'm going to show you a video of an opportunity I took um, a little while back. I was scared to do it. Every part of me wanted to walk away. Every part of me wanted to keep driving. I thought I didn't have time. It was cold outside. I did not want to do this, but I knew that God was giving me a nudge to open my mouth, and I had no idea what to say. But what happened was unbelievable. I want you to watch this video, and then I'll tell you a little bit more about it. My name is Ryan Rempel. I'm the director for Give the Word Ministries here in Winnipeg. We give away Bibles and we encourage people to share their faith. And, and uh, it's something I, I try and do, but I, I was driving down the street uh, one day and uh, just doing some errands for work. And I saw this person sitting on a bench and uh, God just told me to approach this person. I was sitting there thinking, I guess I was in my own mind, just a thought. He drives up. All of a sudden, I hear, excuse me. I turn around, I looked up, and there he was. And I had 10 bucks in my wallet, and God just said, you need to go give it away. And so I did that. I says, no, thank you. I don't want it. It's okay. No, I have to do this. I felt a nudge. And I gave it away, and and uh, I knew she was confused as to why I was giving it away, and so was I. Uh, but I knew I needed to obey that little nudge that God gave, and so I gave it away. And then God said, you're not done yet. You need to pray for this person. And so I said, I, I'm sorry to bug you again, but can I pray for you? And, uh, and she welled up with tears and, and she said, I have cancer. And so I sat down beside her and I prayed for her. And I don't even remember what I said, but I prayed. And, uh, you know, she gave me a, this big hug and, and she turned around and, and walked inside and, and I went on my way and I thought, God, this can't be the end of this story. There's got to be more. So I went back to my office and, and I grabbed a Bible and I wrote a letter with some of my testimony, my story in there and uh, the message of salvation with my phone number. And I said, God, you got to connect me with this person again. I don't know how, but you got to do it. And so I went back to that apartment building that I saw her at and I sat there for about an hour. And uh, she didn't come back out. And I went back again that evening and sat there again. She didn't come back out. I went back the next morning, sat there again. She didn't come back out. And so I thought, well, maybe this isn't going to happen. And I went to, uh, I went to a, the store nearby to buy a, a couple things for my dad. And uh, I went to the checkout line, and there she was in the checkout line. He says, please don't go away. I have something for you. And I looked at him. I said, okay. He gave me this Bible. I wasn't expecting. I says, thank you very much. What is this for? It's for you. I had to give this to you. Then Maureen, I fully believe in Jesus Christ. I believe just as Jesus says in the Bible, anyone who believes in the, their heart that I am the Son of God and that I died for your sins will be saved. I read this letter 
and I cried at home. I thought nobody would do something like that. And um, about a week later, she called me and said, Ryan, I've been reading that letter and that Bible every day, and, and this has changed everything. And I just knew that I wanted her to, to, to get into community with, with like-minded people and, and with the church that would just love on her and, and accept her. I wanted her to feel that, and so, uh, so I invited her to church. I've learned that there's never a bad time or a bad opportunity to reach out. It, usually I find that it's, the, it's when it's most uncomfortable that's when you need to do it. And so I've just really found that uh, no matter how uncomfortable it feels, just reach out and, and love on people and just watch God work. It's amazing. Marine died three days before Christmas. She had Jesus. Incredible. Had I kept driving and not opened my mouth, that could have looked very different. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. If you want somebody to ask you for the hope that you have, try this. Do something so outrageous for somebody that it makes them ask you, why would they do that for you? See, Jesus and his disciples often preceded their gospel message with an act of service or a miracle. Try doing that. Do something so outrageous for somebody that it makes them ask you, why would you do that for me? That is an open door to share the gospel Every time. And yes, it's going to involve time. It's going to involve sacrifice. It might involve finances. So worth it. There's many effective ways to share the gospel, but this is one way that has worked good for me every single time. Not everybody accepts what I have to say, but it opens the door. In the words of Penn Jillette, who is a very outspoken atheist, he's a, he's a comedian and he's a, a magician. And he's very evangelistic about his atheism. But he says, if Christians actually believe that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, how much do Christians actually have to hate their neighbor not to share that with them? That is amazing. God is using Pendulette to empower Christians to share the gospel, and he doesn't even know it. That's fantastic. My challenge to you is this. Take two weeks, and in two weeks... Share the gospel with somebody once. Do something outrageous for somebody once. And make Jesus known. And I promise, once you do it once, you're going to want to do it again and again and again. It's become an addiction for me, and I think that's an addiction that God can get on board with. So I brought enough of these little Bibles here for every single person here to take one. And I also got a response card for everybody, everybody here to take one. And my challenge to you is to come up, you can even start coming up right now if you want, is to grab one of those Bibles and grab one of these cards and then write down how you shared the gospel or how you took an opportunity to give this book away. Write it down, whether, whether it's a positive experience or negative. The response isn't up to you. Some of you are going to get neg negative experiences, guaranteed. But that's still awesome because you still made Jesus known. And that person can never say that nobody ever tried. So even while I'm speaking now, if, if somebody wants to start and somebody wants to come grab one of these and one of those response cards, take an opportunity once and do it within two weeks and then hand that, hand that card back into your leadership so they know that this happened. And if you want to, we donate over 50,000 Bibles a year. If you want to support us in any way, I'll be at the back to talk to you. 
We'd love that. But that's my challenge to you today is to take the opportunity to make Jesus known. Thank you so much for having me out. Thank you, Ryan. I do encourage you to fill those uh, forms in when you hand out what you've got and give it back to us. We'd love to hear your stories uh, of what is going on and what God uses, how God uses you. And then we'll pass those on to Ryan so he gets them as well. Let's all stand together. And Elise is just going to lead us in a worship song. And did he all bring things into land? going to sing a song that we, we haven't sung before but I feel it's really relevant to what Peter and Ryan have shared this morning it talks about the fact that we must go to feed the hungry stand beside the broken we must go stepping forward keep us from just singing move us into action we must go Justice, Savior to all, came to rescue the weak and the poor, chose to serve and not be served. Stand beside. 
pray for each other in small groups and let's pray for each other that we may find strength courage that anointing and if you also want to speak in tongues let's just pray together in those small groups and we have one minute to pray for one another because we want to live here effective and strong and ready to share the gospel can we do that let's just take a few minutes two or three groups and then let's pray
Fill us up, Lord, and send us out. This is our prayer today. Fill us and give us strength. Give us the ears to hear what you hear and the eyes to see the opportunities that you set in front of us. We want to be part of it. We want to be your arms, your mouth, your ears in this world to share the gospel, to share salvation. So I pray that you will strengthen each of us, each one of us, that you will strengthen us and that you give us the courage to set up, to step out, out of our comfort zone and go out and share the gospel. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for this time that we spent in your presence. And as we leave today, we want to remain in your presence. Pray for your blessing over what we're doing this week, our work, our families, the school, our businesses. And whatever we do, we want your glory to shine in everything. And we pray that you bless these coming weeks of fasting and prayer. We want to see your glory. We want to see you working through us. So Lord, we thank you for all this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So may God bless you. Have a great week. And tonight, don't forget at 7.30. 7? At 7, we have the prayer summit. We're starting our two weeks of fasting and prayer. May God bless you and have a wonderful week.